Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. I got it. <laughs> Every Sunday they do a sound check. I don't know if you know this. When you guys are still getting ready to come to church, we do sound checks. I get up here this morning, I'm all talking, I'm looking at the sound guys. How come my mic's not working? I'm going, I finally, oh, it's still muted, sorry, kind of thing. I just did it again. Beautiful day, huh? Some of you don't know this, but 10 years ago, my family and I moved from San Diego, California to Houston, Texas. One thing I've learned to appreciate once moving here is good weather. Whew, baby. I shouldn't have said that, right? We're going to walk out and be humidity everywhere because that's how fast it changes here. Oh, it was beautiful this morning just to be out. This morning, we continue our series on a wonderful life, not a wonderful life, a wonderful life or a life full of wonder. We've been looking past the last few weeks at this whole idea, what is it, what about, or what makes up this wonderful life? John 10.10, which is a verse that this church was, was a vital part in its birth and for many years, even now, says this, and I love how the message says it. I came so that they have real and eternal life, more and better life than they'd ever dreamed of. And you say, well, that's eternal life. But you realize once you make that step of faith and you enter into that personal relationship with God, eternity has started. And he's come to give us a life better than we could ever dream of. And as Christ followers... And as a series, we'd say it's a life of wonder, a life full of wonder. But the reality is, as Christ followers, it's not always that way, is it? I could stand up here and tell you, oh, it's great. It's... And you would sit there and think, huh? That's not my life. If I were to survey the room and I asked you, how many of you are in the middle right now of a wonderful life? Many of you would raise your hand because you're in church and that's what you do. Ooh, yes, a church question. Ah, that's me. I don't want to be the one without my hand down, kind of thing. But in reality, your life is far from wonderful or full of wonder because life is life. And we've been looking at this over the last few weeks. You know, I believe this. I share this every so often with people. I believe God desires to walk along you, along with you, every single step of your life. And I believe this to be true, that he whispers into our heart and in our minds and our thoughts every moment of every day. In fact, he's doing that right now. But I believe we don't hear him because we don't put ourselves in a position to hear him. Life is life. We come in, we sing great songs, we give, oh yes, Jesus. And then we walk out the door, oh, yes, life, boom. And it just sucks all of that right out. Because life is life. But I believe God wants to whisper and is whispering into your heart right this moment and talking to you. We get distracted. We get pressed on all sides in life. And life becomes very loud. 
and we can't hear him. I believe that God wants us to experience a wonderful life. And why do I believe this? Because I believe in a God of wonder. Psalms 65, 8. The whole world is full of awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns. This morning, if you were up and you saw the sun come up, this verse just jumps off the pages. When morning dawns, when evening fades as the evening sun goes down today, take a look. You call forth songs of joy. Psalms 107, 15. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let me be clear, and I know Randy shares this, and I share this when I get up here. We're not promised as a Christ follower, we're not promised a perfect life once we make that step. If I were to say that to you, you'd say, baloney. I'm a Christ follower, and I'm... So we're not promised a perfect life. Our lives will be much like everyone else's lives. Ups and downs, back and forth, good moments, not so good moments. Moments that we feel like we're on top of it, and moments that we are so far underneath it, it is hurting us. Moments that we have the answer, moments where there's so many questions, we just want to give up. That's the life we live. But if you look into God's Word, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Mark, is the book of Mark. If you are stuck in your reading right now and you can't figure out, you know, you open up the Old Testament, he begat, who begat, and you're thinking, this is it? Let me encourage you on this. Go to the book of Mark, New Testament. It starts, wham, bam, you're, you're flying through miracles, through all kinds of stuff. And I encourage you, as you read through the book of Mark, especially if you have an NIV version, circle all the times you see the word amazed, amazement, wonder, awe, and it's chock full of that statement. These people encountered Jesus as no one else encountered him. As he healed, as he spoke, as he loved on people. And they put themselves in a position by going, by seeing, by watching, by listening, in order to walk away. And the scripture says, and they were amazed. And they were full of awe and wonder at this man. That Jesus of 2,000 years ago is that Jesus today, right now. The only difference is he's not standing up here. Wouldn't that be kind of cool <laughs> if he was standing up here talking to us? And Whoa, Jesus. But the beauty of when Jesus left, for us who have stepped that line of faith, he has come to live inside of us. And he's with us every step of the way. Those people saw Jesus. Whoa, amazement. Then they walked away and Jesus stayed there. Because of what Christ did on the cross, I'll talk about that in a minute. We have it to where we take that step of faith. Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live with us. So we're amazed. We walk away. Jesus walks right with us. That's amazing. We have said over this series, one of the ways that we can experience a life of wonder from God 
is through the idea of generosity. Generosity. It's a definition. Open-handed. Free to give. Liberal in giving and sharing. Unselfish. The quality of being understood. Of understanding. Of not being selfish. The quality of being generous. And Randy's unpacked it, starting with the whole idea of a couple of weeks ago about our faulty thinking. We start there. We think, we confuse our wants with our needs. We live in a world that's confused on that. And it creeps into our thoughts of what our needs are as opposed to what we want. What do we want? What do we need? If we focus on what we need, this is a promise from God. Back. Here we go. Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Reads nice. Is it true? Yes, it's true, because I've experienced in my life. Now, sometimes how he meets my needs isn't the way I would desire it, or the way I sought to be met. And maybe I didn't realize how he met that need until several years down the road. But when I look back, I go, wow, he met me right there. He met my need. God says, I will meet all your needs. We need to trust him on that one. Faulty thinking, wants, needs. He never promised that he'll give us all we wanted in life. He promised he will give us what we need in life. And I tell you what, if I had a choice between what I wanted, what God senses I need, I want what God thinks I need for life over what my want is. And then he talked about, two weeks ago, he talked about the idea of treasure, being generous in our treasure, our giving. The idea of what we have has come from God. If God supplies all our needs, well, and obviously in this economy, one of the needs is money. And God supplies us through our jobs, through whatever, meets that need, and that God is over and meets everything. Psalms 24.1, the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all belongs to him, the world and all who live it, which would be us. So basically God is asking us, I'm going to give you all you need and that includes money, and I'm just going to ask you to manage it. And then I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you to be generous with it. We're all good with the management part, right? I can do that. I'll manage it. You got it. I'm your guy, God. What? Wait, whoa. Back up the happy truck, God. You want me to be generous with it? I'll be honest. I've been there. God says, hey, I've given it. I'm asking you to be generous with it. And then last week, Wonderful. Well, the whole idea of uh, being generous with our time and talent, the idea of not simply serving, but this idea of servanthood, one of our values here is, is servanthood. Not serving, but a lifestyle of servanthood. Not what you do, who you are. Who you are. You have a heart to serve. Jesus came and said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. 
As Christ followers, we are called to, to uh, pattern our life after Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, we need to take that. We need to make that step. And it wasn't that Jesus went around serving people. Jesus exuded servanthood, a lifestyle, everywhere he went. You go back to the book of Mark. It's all about being generous with the people that he came in contact with. And I think that was part of their amazement. Whoa! Part of their wonder as they dealt with Jesus, as they saw and experienced Jesus. And we've, we've decided and we've looked at and figured if they're generous, if we're generous with those things, this puts us in a position to experience a life of wonder, of amazement from God. Now, how do we know that to be true? Hey, Robert, you say that. You say that if I'm generous with my time, my treasure, my talent. You say that. If I do that, how do I know that, how do I know that to be true? That I will experience a life full of wonder and awe. Not a perfect life. Not a life void of ups and downs. Not a life where you get to somehow escape suffering and the, all those issues. Because, hey, I have it in my life. But a life which is full of wonder and a moments of awe where you just go, my goodness, look at God. Well, I know this to be true, not because I say, because God's Word says it. And Randy reminds us the last two weeks, and I'm going to remind you today, we are created in God's image. You, me, we are all created in the image of God. And we are to reflect that image to people. God created us. He knows us. He made us in His image. And part of who God is, which I believe to be at His very core, is to be a generous God. A generous God. John 3.16. How many of you know that? Without going up on the screen, oh, it's too late. You guys are so good. <laughs> How many of you know John 3.16? Let's just be honest. If you don't know, you're not in church. Don't put your hands up. If you know John 3.16, a lot of us know, right? We grew up on it. This is an awesome scripture. The problem is if you grew up on it, you can say it really fast. And you can say it really well. And the words can lose their meaning very quickly. And I only put up a part of it. Actually, they put it up, only a part of it, up on the screen. Because I think it tells us something. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Now, if you don't know the rest of this verse, he didn't give money. He didn't give time. He didn't give his talent. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. Woo! The ultimate Give. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, to fix what sin had broken. And you look around, you see brokenness everywhere. That just didn't happen. That is sin in our world. That sin's job is to break. 
And here God, the ultimate of givers, gave his son to be the bridge. Because once sent into the world, it broke the relationship between man, between us, and between God. It broke. For centuries and centuries, man has tried to figure that bridge back, to come back, man to God. And God, because of his nature to be generous and his love for us, he gave the ultimate gift in his son, Jesus Christ, as the bridge. And it's the beauty of this give, there's no strings attached. There's no strings attached. Ah, I'll give you my son, but. He says, I give you my son. If you read Romans 5.8, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die on the cross while we were what? Still sinners. While it was still broken. Why God and all his holiness was here and man and us and all our brokenness was over here. God didn't look over here and say, well, why don't you fix this? Then I'll send my son. No, because of his nature, his love for us, his generosity towards us, he gave his son to be the bridge And many of us have walked across that bridge. Many of us have stepped over that line of faith. But I know in a room this size, some of you are just trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is. You hear the media, you hear it all out there, and you're, I'm confused when they start talking about what a Christian is supposed to believe when you're listening to what the world's saying about us. So I go to God's word, and I speak out of God's word, and I say, if God wrote it, I believe it. And God says to you who are looking at this faith thing, and you need to hear this, God's saying to you this morning, I love you. And you're thinking, oh, I know all about love. I don't want anything to do with that. No, 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 no. Do not take your understanding of love and apply it to God. God is love. Not God knows love. Not God invented love. God is love, the ultimate there. And that God is telling you right this moment that he loves you and that he sent his son to be the bridge that you will cross and reconnect up with him, your creator, And some of you need to walk across that bridge this morning. Some of you need to take that, I call it the step of faith. It's a simple step of faith, but a powerful step of faith. Where you need to say, the best I know how, I'm going to believe this, and I'm going to take Christ, and I'm going to claim it. And some of you need to do that today. Because God's being is always generous and has his hands open. And saying, here's my gift to you. Now, let's be honest. As children of God, those who accepted Christ, those who are believers, let's be honest. Generosity, it doesn't come easy, right? For most of us, generosity is not oozing from our pores. We're not walking around with our wallets open going, here, can I give you money? Here you go. Here's 15, here's 20. Or driving down the road going, where can I help? What can I do? Most of us aren't that way. It doesn't just naturally come from us. I believe it's a learned thing. You've got to learn it. 
And it just doesn't happen. And you know, because of the society and the culture we live in, it's quite easy to be selfish, isn't it? First hour, I said this. I started out and I said, you know, we're all very self. And then I stopped and said, okay, I'll tell you what. Let me just talk about me. And if you think what I'm saying pertains to you, you jump on my story, okay? That's why I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just talking about Robert. Robert is very selfish. I am. I don't want to be at times, but I am. Robert is very self-centered at times. It's just who Robert is. Robert at times thinks to himself, how does that make Robert feel? Does Robert really want to do that? Robert's got better things to do. What's best for Robert? Sound familiar? That's just, that's the truth. I'm speaking the truth. I could just talk about, we're all about giving. I'm just telling you how Robert deals with life. In fact, I just thought, I started thinking to myself, you know, we live in a culture that makes it very easy for Robert to be who Robert is. Because they're supporting me in that thought. Look out for number one. In fact, this is what I decided to do. I thought, okay, we always say that. We live in a culture that's very self-focused, very inward. Is that true? Are we just saying that to make a great sermon point kind of thing? So I Googled it, right? Go to Google. So here I Googled this phrase, okay? Uh, taking care of number one, or care of number one. I decided to Google that. In a third of a second, and I think that might speak more to my computer, which IT guy, you're awesome. But Google, in a third of a second, I don't even know how that works, pulled up a list of websites. A hundred? No. Two hundred? No. A million? No. Fifty million? No. Two hundred and forty-one million websites with its theme of how to take care of number one. Whoa. I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of yourselves. God has given you a body. You need to take care of that body. I'm just saying we're living in a world that makes it very comfortable for us to be self-centered. And for some other, some reason, we think that it's just our culture. It's the 20 or 21st century mindset. It's the me generation. Well, let me tell you, the me generation was way back in Jesus' time. They just didn't call them the me generation, but they were there. And in my reading in Scripture, I read across Paul writing a letter to Timothy to the me generation, way back when generation. And it reads like this. Here's Paul. He says, Paul tells Timothy, go tell these people this. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches you could ever manage. To do good, to be rich in helping others, and to be extravagantly generous. I love the NIV because it's more straightforward. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Command them, Timothy. Tell them they have to do this. This isn't an issue that's just now. What was us? This is an issue that's been along the path. And let me tell you this. This whole issue does not surprise God. He wasn't up there doing his whole thing and going, whoo! They're very self-centered. Oh my goodness, what do I do? 
He knows us better than we know ourselves, right? I think David pointed out that God created us. He knit us together. He put us together. I'm thinking of the person that put us together probably knows Robert a lot better than Robert knows Robert. And so this wasn't something that caught him by surprise. He knew we were going to struggle. He knew we were going to not be as generous as he would desire us to be. He knew, though, if he could allow us to grasp a hold of this idea of generosity that we could experience moments of wonder, awe, and amazement in our walk with him. He knew this. So way back when, Moses, he speaks to Moses and sets out a strategy and a plan. Now, people who know me, I'm all about strategies and I'm all about plans. I love a good strategy. Whether it's football or it's business, a good strategy with good goals is an awesome thing. And when you don't meet your goals, something's wrong with the strategy. I understand all that. So when I read this years ago, I thought, this is a good strategy. I was giving God credit. Good job, God. The ultimate of strategy people. Deuteronomy 6. I quote Deuteronomy 6 when I'm talking to the families up here, child dedication. But I want to read a little bit more. Deuteronomy 6. We're going to look at a design strategy of how we are first to experience our faith and generosity, and then the whole idea of passing it on. And I want to put a, a word here. This isn't just for parents. We read this, and it, it, it does, you know, smack of parents, that's true. But it's, it's also for all adults in this room as you read this. I want you to read it as an adult, whether you're a parent or not, or you have kids or not, I want you to read it as it's speaking to you and see what you think God's telling you to do. Okay? Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2. These are the commands, rules, laws that the Lord your God told me to teach you to obey in the land you are crossing the Jordan River to take. You, your children, your grandchildren must respect the Lord your God as long as you live. Obey all the rules and commands, and I will give you, and all the rules and commands I give you so that you will live a long life. Listen, people of Gateway. Okay, it doesn't say that. People of Israel. But truly, like he's speaking to us right now, this is our God, is the only Lord. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul your strength, and always remember these commands I give you today. Teach them to your children. Talk, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Brian Haynes, in his book, The Legacy Path, writes this as it pertains to this verse. In a world of relativism, that's, relativism is the idea, is the... Is the the thing that's out there where there's no absolute or universal truth, that truth can change. What's true for you can, 
be different for me. It's kind of, there's no absolute truth here. And he says, in a world of relativism, it's important for parents, for adults, to know the unchanging truths of God and his plan to build faith in the next generation. Brian goes on to write that Deuteronomy 6, this passage is a legacy path, a strategy, of how this is all to work. A legacy is simply this, something that's passed on that is left behind to the next generation by an ancestor, by those who precede them. We need to know and understand and remember and never forget, we are somebody's ancestor of people to come. The older I get, the more I feel like an ancestor. But we are going to be the ancestors of somebody we don't even know, of generations we don't even know. We're all going to leave a legacy. You're all leaving legacies right now. It's just, what are you leaving? God comes along and says, I'm going to give you the ultimate legacy to leave. I'm going to give you the legacy that's above all legacies. And I need you to follow my plan and my strategy. God says, first part of my plan is you need to love me with everything you have. With everything. You need to show your love for me. You need to grow. You need to give it all. The second part of my strategy is you need to invest in the generations behind you. As adults, our role is to invest in the next generation. If you're an adult, you can quantify that by any age. I would say from 21 on up. If you're an adult in this room, God's calling you to leave a legacy in the generations behind you. Well, you say, I'm only 25. Uh, yeah, well, a generation behind you, like 10, 10 years old. And let me tell you what, remember when you were 10, how you looked up to the 25-year-old? And now I look up to the 85-year-olds? As an adult, we are to leave a legacy, a legacy of faith and a legacy of generosity. I started thinking about this this last couple of weeks as I was working on the sermon, and I started thinking, who has left a legacy in my life? Some of the people I'm about to share with you have no clue they left any kind of legacy in my life. They don't have a clue, but they did. They did. I start with my mom and dad. Now I know in a room this size, some of you did not have a good relationship with your mom and dad. But I had a mom and dad that was very generous in their love for each other, for their love for their children, and for their love for God. And they lived it out in front of us. Were they perfect? Nope. Especially at 16, I knew my parents weren't perfect. I told them they weren't perfect. But they also left another legacy piece in my life as my parents and their generosity to the church. We had a church we went to as a family. And my parents loved on junior hires as volunteer for year after year after year. And they loved and gave generously their time, these junior hires. 
that weren't very nice to them at times. And I saw, I watched. And so much so as that legacy just bore down inside of me. For many years, I was a youth pastor. And most of those years, I was a junior high pastor. Because I love junior hires. And I think that's partly because I watched my parents leave a legacy of my life of loving junior hires. Sixth grade Sunday school teacher, Mr. Leatherman. I love that name. Mr. Leatherman. He faithfully, every Sunday, prepared a lesson. Brought it to us, group of boys, sixth grade boys. There were probably 10 of us. And he faithfully taught it every Sunday. And we faithfully derailed him every Sunday. And we faithfully were a pain in his side every Sunday. And I don't remember a single word he said. Are you going to remember any of my words? Hey, I know you won't. That's okay. This is what I do remember. I remember a man who gave of his time of sixth grade boys that weren't always very nice to him, put them in his car and take us to a big soccer, a big field and we'd play soccer. Now you got to remember that was whoop, a while back. What is soccer? That's something they played somewhere else. You don't play soccer. And he taught us how to play soccer. I remember a man who loaded us up into his car and we drove. Remember, I grew up in San Diego. We drove to the coast and he took us on an aircraft carrier and we had lunch with servicemen and women. Hundreds of them on an aircraft carrier. I don't remember a word he said. But I remember this man being very generous in his time and in his love for us, that he did this for us on a Sunday afternoon when most of us were watching football. And he put us in his car and took us, and I'll never forget that. I'm an old dude, and I still remember that. I don't remember a lot, but I remember that. A group of men who every Saturday came to the church and prayed. And how do I know that? Well, when I was young, my first job was a maintenance guy at a church, rather large church. And my work shift, I had to be there on Saturdays. So my job every Saturday was to go down and unlock a room for a group of old dudes. Now I'm thinking they were probably my age right now. You know, here I was 20 barely 20-something, and these guys were probably my age, and I thought they were old dudes. But they would faithfully go into this room, and they would pray. They would pray. I could hear them. They would pray for each other. They would pray for their church. And I, every Saturday, I opened the door. I got to know them, and they got to know me. They left a legacy in me. They don't know that. Most of them have passed away. They have no clue. They left a legacy. They left a piece of themselves in me. As they ask questions about me and my wife, and how are things going, Robert? Older guys taking a moment to invest in a young, a young guy. Then finally this morning, just share this with you. This is my experience. A pastor named Charles Smith. Again, as I was a maintenance guy, little did I know at the time, as I was setting up chairs, that someday I would be a full-time pastor. Little did I know that. And Charles did know that. 
But every time I would come and I would start setting up chairs and Charles would see me, he would stop what he was doing. He would come over and say, here, let me help. And he'd help me set up. We were a large church, so we were setting up humongous setups. And he'd sit there and help. And as he's helping me, he's talking to me. How you doing? How's the job? Yeah, I can get a little hard sometimes. How's, how's Karen? He left a legacy, what it meant to be generous in full-time ministry. I'll never forget. People leaving moments of their life and other people's lives, a legacy. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? I said this first hour, and I'm going to say the second hour. You don't have an option. If you're a Christ follower, you are called to leave a legacy. Deuteronomy makes that very clear. And it all depends on what legacy you're going to leave. Right now, we have a bunch of youth at a retreat. And there's some adults with them that are leaving a legacy in the life of these kids. Little bits and pieces. And these kids are going to grow up and they're not going to remember a thing that was said. <laughs> but they're going to remember the time and the generosity these adults had in their lives. And God's going to use that in their lives. Right this moment, we have a ton of kids. I wonder if you weighed them all, if that would come to a ton. I don't know. But we have a ton of kids. These are things I think. I don't know. We have a ton of kids back there. There are adults back there leaving a legacy. They're not in there going, okay, I'm leaving a legacy, leaving a legacy. Oh, here's my legacy. They're in there because they want to be generous with their life, with their time. And because of that, they're leaving a legacy of faith and a legacy of generosity into this generation to come. You need to be doing that. I need to be doing that. It's not for the person to this side or this side, and I, don't, I get an excuse out of this. You don't know. Well, I'm not old enough. You're old enough to leave a legacy. The question is, what are you leaving? What is the legacy you're leaving? Real quick, and I'm done. I mean, really fast. I know what time it is. I can look at a clock just like you can. And so I'm going to, real quick, very important though, ways that we leave a legacy. First of all, it starts with your personal walk with God. You can't leave something you don't have or you're not growing in. Seriously. You need to start there. If you're a Christ follower and all you did was step on the line of faith and you're stuck there, you need to get unstuck. Come forward, pray with some people, get some ideas of how you can move forward in your walk with God. Number two, you need to model it. Just don't say it with words, your actions. All these men that left little pieces of legacy of me, they weren't perfect. They didn't have the best life. I was just talking to somebody after that first service. They said, so, you know, sometimes we don't want to do this because we feel inadequate. I'm sure if you were to talk to each of these people that poured into my life, they would tell you they felt inadequate, but they stepped out and did it anyway. Because they believe the scripture where it says, when I am weak, he is strong. And I'm just going to do what I can do, and I'm going to leave a legacy everywhere I go. Model it. And then the last one is endurance. Think of it as a line and not a dot. This is a lifelong 
journey that you need to be about. Philippians, I'm not reading it. There's scripture. You have all the scriptures I went over in your bulletin. Take it home. Don't just drop it out there. Take it home. Read it over. And then scriptures out of Philippians where it's Paul says, I press on. I don't give up. I press on. I keep moving forward. This morning, some of you need to leave a legacy in the kids and the youth of this, of this great church of Gateway. God's calling you that. And you know I know how God's calling you that? Because right now you're thinking, seriously, Robert, let's just pray and get out of here. Hey, I'm with you. I understand. But God's talking in your heart right now saying, you need to get over there with the kids. You need to get there with you. You need to leave a legacy. Some of you need to think about what is the legacy I'm leaving? And is it what God is asking me to do? Because we know what God's asking. I want to encourage you this morning. If you have decided you want to make that step of faith, come up here. These people, every Sunday, whether they know it or not, and they pray for somebody right here, they just left a piece of legacy in that person's life. Every Sunday. Maybe you need to come and get a little dump of legacy in you. Of faith. If you're sensing the need that I need to be a part of a legacy in the ministries here at Gateway, go out to the ministry booth area. Ask them. Talk to them. We're all going to leave a legacy. The question is, what are you going to leave? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for how powerful it is. Man, I just thank you for this idea of legacy. As men have poured and women have poured in my life, and I try the best I can with your help to pour into others. May we be people who live a legacy of you and a legacy of generosity. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Hey, have a great, wonderful life. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.